How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. How's it going, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer, and today we're going to be interviewing CIA operative Andrew Bustamante. Now, Andrew is a former covert CIA intelligence officer, decorated military combat veteran, and successful Fortune 10 corporate advisor after 20 years leading human and technical intelligence operations for corporate and government clients. Andrew founded EverydaySpy.com, the first ever online platform designed to teach elite spy skills to everyday people like you and me. Featured in both U.S. and international media, Andrew's training content has been praised for its innovative, authentic, and life-changing impact. When he isn't giving interviews, running spy exercises, or supporting private intelligence contracts around the world, Andrew lives with his wife, also an ex-CIA officer, and two children out in Florida. This is an awesome interview. Uh, We talk about how Andrew accidentally became a spy. It's a pretty interesting story what it was like being in espionage and spending seven years undercover and how to program your brain to accomplish anything and how to program others' brains as well so you can get whatever you want and need, especially in an espionage situation. Pretty crazy. And we're going to dig into the big big myth about morning routines and how to actually get shit done and what a lot of people, the big mistake mistake that most people make that actually hurt them. We're going to talk about a ton more as well. And don't forget that we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com to grab your copy of the number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, the book, available now. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer here. And today uh, we've got my, I want him to be my new best friend, Andrew Bustamante, a ex-CIA operative. So we're going to make sure that we stay on his good side. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Xander. Happy to be here, man. And and I have also had uh, an open requirement out for a new best friend. So we might be on the same page. Oh, this is great. I love it. I love it, man. Well, we'll be long distance from California to Florida, but we'll make it work. We learned that. We learned that during COVID times. And dig the it. whole country's um, ours, dude. That's that's how I read that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, Andrew, uh, for people who don't know you, uh, fill everybody in. How did you get to where you are now? We'll talk about everyday spy as we kind of move forward. But I would love for people to hear the story of how you went from you know as a kid to uh, you know military to CIA operative to obviously where you are now. Yeah, it's funny, man. I'm actually the most accidental spy you'll probably ever meet. Uh, I, huh. I was a brown kid in are a most, rural white school growing like up. Are most spies really calculated in the very beginning? Like right from the start, they're like, they're spies or? 
Not most of them. No, that's true. Not most of them. But but there is a there's a very traditional kind of yeah. spy cut uh, that I don't fit. Right. Like there's well, the Harvard think, educated. Of, yeah, I think of I think of James Bond. I think of I think of uh, um, Mission Impossible. What's his name? Tom Cruise. Right. Like that's who I think of when I'm thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in what do you I mean? You're describing handsome white men. Right. Essentially, yeah. that's and that really is a projection of power around the world, whether yeah. all race issues aside, I get it. America has race issues. I get it. We have all sorts of, you know, discriminatory bases. The fact is, the whole world is racist. So yeah. when the United States projects power around the world, there's power when you have handsome white men, you know, mm -hmm. in positions of authority. That's just how the whole world, whether you're in Africa or Asia or Latin America, uh, that's how they see it. So when you're an ambiguously wow. brown guy like me. Nobody yeah. thinks that you're a threat. They just kind of, they think you're the help. Yeah. Can I ask you, what is your background? So I'm three quarters Mexican and one quarter Navajo Indian, which That's just amazing. turns out, yeah, it just turns out looking lost. Looks, looks <laughs> like a... <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I'm half Irish, half Pakistani, and everybody thinks that I'm Mexican, so... Oh, there you go. I can see that. I yeah, can see we're, that. We're, we're right there. Cut um, from the same cloth. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you accidentally became a spy. Let's walk through this story. How did it happen? So I'm, I'm growing up in this, uh, in this rural white school where, you know, everybody's basically got their eyes on going to community college. That's basically what all the guidance counselors, if I, do they still have guidance counselors in high school nowadays? I it's wouldn't like be the able most, to tell you. <laughs> it's like the most worthless job in the world yeah. because you don't really guide anybody. I didn't, I didn't get any guidance if they do, <laughs> do have them. So. so yeah, we had a guidance counselor that was basically pushing everybody towards community college. If anybody listening is from a rural high school, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, and then I found this beautiful girl in, who was two years ahead of me who went to a military academy. And nobody mm. had ever told me that there was such a thing as a military academy. And here's this gorgeous girl going to the Naval Academy. So I decide... Well, if that's where she's going, I got to find a way to go there. I got to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so then I find out that there are these other academies, an Air Force Academy, a Coast Guard Academy, a military academy, uh, and all it takes is good grades. So, you know, I kind of saw the the barrier between me and a school full of beautiful women was just good grades. <laughs> and that was enough to get me to to work hard and get those decent it always, grades. It always seems that the the path between where we are as men and our future, there's a there's a beautiful woman involved, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the stair steps in between. What yeah. what else? What other reason is there to even try? Otherwise, it's just like, let's just play video games and waste our time <laughs> on action movies. Yep. Where'd, where'd you end up going? <laughs> so I went to the Air Force Academy after I graduated from, hmm. uh, from high school, and I found out very quickly that there are not very many women that go to a military I school. I could have told you that one. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't my guidance counselor at the time, Xander. Valid point. <laughs> so yeah, I go to the Air Force Academy. I, I barely graduate with a, you know, a super solid 2.4 GPA, but I happen to learn Chinese while I'm at the school. It's like the only thing I'm good at is learning Chinese. And wow. then I graduate, I go into the US Air Force. I, again, I'm bad at everything except apparently I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. So they put me in charge of nuclear missiles and gave me the highest clearance that you can get in the military. So here I am, a Chinese-speaking, you know, ambiguously brown guy who is an expert in nuclear missiles. And then when the time comes that I'm allowed to leave the Air Force, I'm like, F this, dude, I'm out of here. I'm going to go join the Peace Corps. I'm going to go find a hippie chick with hairy armpits and like hair that hasn't been unbraided in two years. And it's on the journey to become this Peace Corps volunteer that CIA taps me on the shoulder and says, we have something that you might be interested in. And like any 27-year-old dude, I'm like, 
oh, what's this other thing that I might be good at? So what? Why? So why did they? I'm so. You're right. This is very accidental. I'm so. <laughs> why did they tap you? It's. It has to be because nobody ever came out and told me. My assessment, yeah. using 2020 hindsight, right? My assessment is that my entire life story, my entire history was available to them because I went to a military school. Yeah. I was a military officer. They knew every place I had been. They knew everything about my health and my you know, mental health, physical health, whatever yeah. else. I was already property of the US government. So, yeah. so when they did a search on their giant computer- You already uh, had top security clearance and everything. They I knew, already they had knew a, everything. a critical yeah. language. Exactly. I think that what happened is they just saw me, they saw me apply to another federal job mm. and they just kind of focused in on that and, and intercepted me along the way. That is fairly traditional. Of all the non-traditional stuff, that is actually fairly traditional. They will intercept people who are trying to look for federal work in yeah. IRS or FBI or you know Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, and they'll tap you on the shoulder. So, so you end up working with the CIA. How long were you there? What was it like? I, I'm sure maybe there's stuff you're not allowed to tell me, but I would love to hear whatever you're allowed to divulge. <laughs> it's actually quite a bit more boring than you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, I pick it up. I'm, I spend seven years undercover with the mm -hmm. National Clandestine Service, what was called the NCS. Uh, I think it's currently called the Directorate of Operations. And uh, I specialize in in hard targets, meaning the targets that it's the hardest for American intelligence to collect information about. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's super fun, super interesting stuff, but you end up lying to everybody. So it was really yeah. hard to like maintain personal relationships or romantic relationships or friendships. Yeah. And, and what that does is it forces you to just lean into your little community of other spies that, and that that's actually understand what's going on. Yeah. Right. The P and then, and the CIA loves it because now you're going to work 10, 12, 14 hours a day and not even complain because all your friends are already at work. You might as well just hang out at work too. Uh, yeah. And that's actually how I ended up meeting my wife. So my wife was a wow. former, was a CIA officer at the same time as I was. We met, we didn't have anything else to do outside of CIA. So uh, yeah. Eventually, we ended up getting married, and then they sent us around the world together as what's called a tandem couple, a tandem operating couple. And that's that's how this uh, accidental spy ended up having a pretty cool experience for those seven years. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds that doesn't sound too bad, man. That sounds, <laughs> sounds pretty good, actually. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be skilled, man. So, <laughs> so, so question for you. I'd love to understand before we get into the, you know, some of the more tactical things that we could talk about. I definitely want to dig in, dig into some of the skills that you learned and how, you know, people can apply it in their everyday life, their relationships, their, their work, all of that sort of stuff. I got to ask, what's the coolest thing that you felt you ever did while you were in the CIA? The coolest stuff I can't talk about. That's, that's uh, just unfortunate. I knew you yeah. were going to say that. I knew <laughs> you were going to say that. Just keeping that card in the back pocket. Yeah. The but, people that you get to meet, man, the people you get to meet, the, to the weapons you get to use, the, the stuff you get to do, like, it's just, it's really, really cool. But it's, it's yeah. kind of like, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of like being in college, speaking of things you don't do in college, right? It's like <laughs> the one field trip in an entire year. That's fun. You spend yeah. like a whole year building an operation to do one really cool thing in between two very, mm -hmm. very uncomfortable things, right? Like, so just, I can't give you too many specifics, but if you think, put yourself in the shoes of anybody operating overseas. Yeah. If you've ever traveled around the world, you've got like 14, 15, 18, 20 hour flights. You've yeah. got food poisoning. You've got dirty water. You've got difficulty finding healthcare, you know, and, and of course, all of those things are super uncomfortable in the moment, and then they they stay with you for weeks afterwards, right? Yeah. So it's like, imagine that 
for, you know, two or three weeks, all of the pain. And then you get like six hours where you're using a rebreather in dark water and you're 12 feet underwater and you can't see in front of you. You're just holding onto someone's fin as they're dragging you across some border. And then you're like, holy, cr this is my life. This is sweet. Yeah. And then yeah. you pop up on the other side and you have diarrhea. So you got to quick take off your wetsuit and go drop. It's that's so it's like it's like a shit sandwich. It's like instead of, you know, the good stuff is in the <laughs> middle. Less, but it's a lot less glorified than what I was expecting. Exactly. Like it. Exactly. It's it's not what you see in James Bond. Oh, man, that's too funny. Well, let's get to the stuff that we can talk about, shall we? Let's let's talk about, you know, some of the stuff that we can utilize on a day to day basis that that. Uh, can really help us, you know, live lives of more fulfillment, more happiness, more success. Uh, what are some of the things that you found that really translate over to, you know, our, our everyday spy people here? Yeah, so absolutely. The, the big thing for me and what 90% of the training you go through at CIA has nothing to do with tactical movements or tactical stuff. It has yeah. to do with very human stuff. We call it sticky stuff because okay. humans are sticky. What we mean by that is... Uh, all first of all, we mean all human beings are the same. So just yeah. like we were talking about, like making jokes about discrimination earlier on in reality, outside of like skin color and hair color and eye color and accents, we're all made of the same stuff. Very, very similar stuff, like majority our DNA or everything, yes. right? Very, very similar. Yeah. And one of the things that's almost identical in all people, all people, regardless of age, ethnicity, education level, whatever, one of the things that's almost always extremely consistent is the human brain. So the vast mm. majority of our training is actually program is actually to help us condition ourselves condition our cognitive process and our own brain and then mm -hmm. understanding the shortcuts in other people's brains so that for lack of a better word we can learn to control their their wow. mental processes which puts us yeah. in a position where we can it's not easy to tell someone hey why don't you start giving us secrets about your country trust me that's yeah. a good thing to do it's not an easy sell but the only yeah. way you get there is by understanding how their brain works better than how they know their own brain works that's this is this is amazing to me. It's one of the things that we actually talk about in the book, Shit You Don't Learn in College. It's like, you know, everybody listening to this right now, you were given, you were given a user's manual to your remote control to your TV, to your microwave oven, to your whatever it might be. You're given a user's manual for all of this stuff, but none of us are actually given the user's manual for our brain, which runs this whole crazy thing we call our body, our mind, or everything, right? So, Let's dig into that a little bit. Like, what were some of the things that you learned around how to, because I think this is incredibly pertinent, that foundationally around, like, if you want to live a happier life, well, you need to learn how your brain works so that you can get your brain to do the things that you want it to do. Like, what would you say are some basic things that people could really understand around that? So one of the most basic things to understand is that there's there's a concept that we're taught early on, and I teach it in my business to, to all of my new clients and all of my new students. And it's this idea of perception versus perspective. So we're all wired because of caveman survival instincts. We're all wired to think of our perception first. Perception means how you look through your own eyes at the world yeah. around you. Think of like a caveman trying to protect himself, yeah. right? Everywhere he looks, he's looking for food. He's looking for threats. He's looking for predators. He's the center of his own story. His world, yeah. Every human being walks around wired to be the center of their own story. You don't even think anybody else exists. If you were a Hollywood movie, you would be the director and the cinematographer and the lead actor. Mm. And the best anybody else is, is a supporting actor. That's the best yeah. anybody else is. 
you never stop to think that they all also think that they're the star. They are the star and story. you're a supporting actor in this same story. So once yeah. you, that's all. I just pers- want to be clear though, because you're the spy, you actually are the star. And I'm the supporting <laughs> actor in this one. Just, just in case anybody's wondering. So, so when you, when you plug that in, that's called perception. Perspective happens when you learn how to take yourself out of that starring person role and recognize what life is like through someone else's eyes. So when I stop to think about what life is like through Xander's eyes, let me spend 15 minutes. Let me spend this interview. Let me spend the 20 minutes before this interview when you were getting ready for it. Let's let's try to think about what Xander's life looked like then. That's called perspective. Once Mm. you start applying perspective in a conversation, in a negotiation, in a job interview, even in an argument with your spouse, once you start to actively leverage some perspective to gain information about the larger con- the larger context, you're doing something they're not doing. You're collecting yeah. data they're not collecting. That's allowing you to make decisions they can't even fathom because they're trapped as the lead yeah. actor in their own movie. They only have one viewpoint that they're actually looking through. Exactly right. And the more you practice that skill of perspective. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, how do you how do you practice that? How do you even begin with that? So right? I think it's, you know, it's like, as, yeah, go ahead. As silly as it sounds, right? As silly as it sounds, you, nobody can do it in the moment. It's it's not something that you like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. having an argument with my boyfriend now. So now's the perfect time for me to try and think of life through his yeah. eyes. The best time to do it is honestly in those moments of like quiet or meditative state or yeah. this, we used to joke that the best ideas happen in the shower. At CIA, yeah. that's one of the jokes that we have. Because it's one of the only times that we ever have to ourselves is when we take our own yeah. shower, right? Like when you're in the field, even the bathroom, toilets are right next to each other. So you don't, you're never yeah. alone. But, uh, but when you're in the shower, that's when you're, you're like washing your hair, washing your face, your eyes are closed. You know, there's no noise. It's just the white noise of the water. And then all of a sudden, like something just clicks. Something brilliant happens in your brain. Everybody knows that feeling. Yeah. It's amazing when you take that shower time and you're like, oh, you know what? What would it be like to be my kid for a day? You actually have five or seven minutes or so to think about it and be like, oh, that's what it looks like to reach up and touch a light switch. Or this must be what it feels like to have to ask permission every time you want a banana. Like it's amazing how much your brain can process because your brain is a super powerful computer. It can go through a thousand different scenarios in just a few minutes if you just give it some quiet time to reflect on this idea of. What is what is life like through someone else's perspective? Yeah, I think that's amazing. You know, it's it really is, you know, it's kind of a meditative time, whether you're in the shower when some for some people it's at the gym, you know, they've got their headphones on and that's their moment or they're on a run and that's their moment. But just actively taking that time to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and understand where where they're coming from. Yeah. And the, another thing that's kind of unique about the human brain, the human brain likes hooks. We, we call them hooks. What do you, what do you mean by hooks? Yeah. A hook is anything that kind of that gets uh, stuck in your thought process. So sometimes yeah. like when you get angry at somebody, you'll just dig into that anger, right? You'll lean into it. You're like, oh, and I hate the way they grind their teeth. And it doesn't make any sense that they always want to drink their coffee black and they're always late. That's a hook. The brain loves hooks because it gives it something to focus all of its mental processing power on. So when you start practicing perception and perspective, what happens is you'll gain some perspective and that's a hook. It's something new. It's something novel. It's something interesting. And all of a sudden your brain collapses resources. It focuses resources into that one thought. And before you know it, you're rapidly investing and you're, and you start to exponentially grow 
in your own perspective because your brain likes that practice of digging into leaning into some kind of hope. So how do you how do you prevent cuz I like obviously I think a lot of people have the issue where that can take them down, you know, what we'd refer to as like a negative spiral. How do you prevent that from happening and focus on something that's actually more beneficial? Uh, so we don't really look at things as negative or positive because huh. uh, negative and positive assumes that there's a value, like an extrinsic value on a yeah. thought, right? Instead we try to think of things as productive or destructive. There's a lot of negative thoughts that can be quite productive. I mean, if you're if you're in charge of wargaming, what's going to happen in Ukraine right now? You're having a lot of productive negative. You, you thoughts. should have some negative thoughts that are very productive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So we try to frame everything through that eye of productive and destructive. In general, destructive thoughts are thoughts where you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about how things impact you. You're thinking about things that you've done wrong. When you're thinking about yourself. It's oftentimes a very destructive way of thinking. Even if you're sitting there thinking, hey, I did a good job with that thing. I'm super smart. I'm so strong. I've gone to the gym 10 days in a row. And that's actually all very destructive thinking because yeah. you're, you're not producing anything new. You're dwelling yeah. on something that has no value. So instead, yeah. when you start focusing on productive thinking, that's when you're, you're wargaming, you're theorizing, you're thinking about something outside of you. It's that same concept of perception and perspective. I was, I was going to say, it feels like in order to be able to do that, you have to be able to per practice perception and perspective to begin with. Otherwise, you can't you know, alternate or switch from unproductive or destructive to productive thoughts. Correct. And, and the more you practice it, the faster it gets. So now... Yeah. After three, five, 12 years of being in the field, now you can actually have an argument with somebody in the heat of the moment and think to yourself what they must be thinking at this moment. It's almost, which, it's almost like you're arguing with yourself because you're in their body at the same time and going back and forth. <laughs> or or more, more effectively, you make them argue with themselves because you can predict what they're thinking, how they're you just, acting. You just inceptioned me and I'm not even going to go there any further. <laughs> um, I, that's amazing, man. I, quit, so... All right, we've got perception versus perspective, destructive and productive thoughts. Uh, anything else that like people can re like could really help people just understanding their brain and how to operate that would really just make them happier, more fulfilled. This, I think this is really good stuff. Yeah. So the the next big kind of you know easy uh, fruit to pull off the tree is the idea of how you know whether or not you're controlling a conversation or whether you're in control. Uh, yeah. if you're, if you're being controlled by a conversation or if you're in control of a conversation. So the, whenever there's a lot of control freaks out there, I'm not worried about the people who are hyper controlling. I'm talking about just the average person who's trying to understand, you know, when am I in control of a conversation? How do I take control of a conversation? How do I get a voice when I'm seated at the table? How do I get people to remember me? How do I get an investor to notice me? Yeah. Right. Those are all questions that we have. And mm -hmm. the, the way that you do that is by being the person who talks the least. So everything I'm doing right now is wrong because I'm talking a lot. Yeah. yeah. And as an interviewer, well, you... By the, by the way, we do want that for the podcast. This would be <laughs> a, really, a really bad podcast if you didn't talk. So please continue. <laughs> so uh, especially interviewers, uh, interviewers, podcast interviewers, journalists, they understand this uh, almost intrinsically. When you're the one asking questions, yeah. you're the one in control of a conversation. When you're the one asking questions, you get to choose where the conversation goes. You get to choose uh, what threads of conversation continue and which ones get ignored. You, you get to prime. We call it priming, cognitive priming. You get to prime the other person to start thinking about things in a way that you want them to be thinking about, whatever the topic is. So if you want people to start asking questions about you know uh, anything from 
foreign influence all the way down to whether or not they need a new pair of sneakers. It's all about the questions that you ask. And then human nature, that pink mass that's the same inside every human being, human nature, human instinct, the way that the brain works, the, the brain wants closure. So it can't leave a question unanswered. It has to try to answer it. Even if the person tries not to answer you, their brain is working against their body because the brain is processing through an answer. They, so, they might not say it, but their brain has already ran through the response that's going on in their mind. Correct. And just by you understanding that that's what's happening in their brain, you have an informational yeah. advantage. You have a, a superior position in that conversation or negotiation. So it, you know, obviously a lot of this sounds like, you know, the ability to, uh, you mentioned, you know, control a situation to control a conversation. And to some degree, like you mentioned, if you're an operative in the field, almost control others so that you can help get the information that you really need from a situation. Um, some people might be listening to this and be like, that doesn't sound very nice. I don't know if I want to implement that. What would you say to them around like the importance of learning this sort of stuff? Yeah, I would say don't follow me because you're the kind of person I'm here to beat. So if you don't like what I have to teach, then this is the perfect time to stop listening to this podcast. Keep following Xander, but don't ever follow me and don't ever listen to my podcast. The truth is, Xander, you know, let's talk productive and and destructive again. The The productive truth is human beings are not equal. We are not equal. Nobody wants equality. Everybody out there who's saying, oh, no, I do want equality. I want everything to be equal. What they actually want is fairness. Yeah, we all want to be on a fair playing field. Nobody wants to play soccer 10 against three. We all want to play 10 versus 10. But the other nine people on our team, we want to be able to pick who those nine people are. We want we want them to be the better people. Yeah, that's not (laughs) equality, right? Yeah, I love that. So it's really important to keep that in mind because I am in the business of giving people the advantage. I am not in the business of taking advantages away to make everybody equal. That's that's not how the world works. It's not productive for me to teach people how to be tricked by other people. Instead, it's better to teach people, hey, guess what? These are the tricks that bad guys use. And the only way you're going to fight those bad guys is if you know how to use their tools better than they do. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really the intention and the perspective that I want everybody to understand here. Right. Is like, you know, if you understand these skills, number one, you can prevent anything bad from happening to you. But also, I, you know, I think about I start to think about like all the good things that can be done if if you if someone can start to put themselves into a proper uh, perspective with their wife or their husband and understand where they're coming from. And if you really love that person, you're not trying to manipulate them. You just want to understand them so that you can help each other fall more deeply in love and have a great relationship. Right. So it can be used in in the right. It sounds like it's just a tool, whether we want to use it. For bad things or good things, that's kind of up to us, right? Exactly right. It's like a nail gun, right? Yeah. A nail gun is only, <laughs> it's what analogy. you choose to point it at, right? Yeah. You can build a house and that house can be amazing or you can hurt somebody. It's totally up yeah. to whether or not you know These how to use it. These are the things that not. the CIA operative would come up with to hurt somebody, a nail gun. Great, <laughs> great one. It, you can um, get it across borders easier than a ballistic gun. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, <laughs> What would what throwing me throwing my brain off track? It's just like I'm like literally it's the closed loop. You. Your brain wants I'm, to yeah, close it. My brain is now telling the story of you <laughs> underwater in darkness with a nail gun, and it's just gone on its own little adventure now. Um, so for for everybody out there, I'm sure that as an operative, and obviously from the military, I was actually in the Air Force as well. Um, I 
long story short, I was actually kicked out for getting a DUI. I was going to fly fighter jets and then got a DUI and got kicked out. So uh, went down a very different path than you. But um, I'm sure that you have an amazing daily routine and some some discipline that you've built throughout the years. And I'd, I'd love for you to share anything along those lines that would be helpful for people. Yeah. So one of the big things that I've actually found about uh, or that I was trained and I have discovered through that training is that a lot of the guidance out there about daily mm-hmm. routines, the science doesn't meet with the marketing. There's all this yeah. marketing hype out there that you know, you have to be on this rigid routine or things have to be super structured or, uh, or you have to have everything scripted and blocked. And if you don't, then, then that when you miss your morning meditation or when you skip your workout, then the rest of the day is just going to fall apart and collapse. Right. Instead, what we, what we were taught is that there's the, the magic behind discipline, the magic behind routine is actually just consistency. It's not structure and discipline, it's consistency. And the magic behind consistency is something called willpower. And willpower is something you can control. Discipline you can't control, right? If you wake, if you, if your kid wakes you up twice in the middle of the night and you're just tired the next day, your discipline is going to suffer. And it's going to be crap. yeah. Yeah. And the reason it suffers is because you don't have the willpower to push yourself to do the things that you don't want to do. So if you address willpower first, you're basically always charging the battery of your will, which gives you the the best possible probability of success throughout the day. You just you just mentioned will like a battery. Right. Explain that a little bit more. It sounds like something that we can build or, you know, possibly grow a bigger, stronger battery, kind of like a muscle, if if you will. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So think of your willpower kind of like you think of a of a a gas tank, or even better, if you think of like a water bladder, if you've ever actually hiked with like a natural bladder, like the the bladder of a bull or something, you can fill it to its full extreme, but then you can actually fill it beyond that because it'll stretch because it's made Mm -hmm. of organic material. So your willpower is really just a fuel tank of energy. And when you have max energy in your fuel tank, you'll have the maximum amount of willpower to execute on your daily goals, your daily objectives, whatever your routine might be. It doesn't matter how good your routine or how bad your routine might be. If you don't have enough energy in your willpower reserve, you're going to fall short of your end goal. And the way that you put energy into that willpower reserve is through the type of food you eat, specifically the amount of glucose that you eat because glucose breaks down into almost instant energy. So when, you, when you're running low on fuel, low on energy, that means you're going to be low on willpower. It's why parents yell at their kids at the end of the day after a long day of work. Because yeah, they're exhausted. They're exhausted. Yeah. They have no energy. If they had a little bit more energy, then they would be able to be patient just a little bit longer with their kids. A simple tool to fix that is literally to like eat an apple on the way home. Because the glucose, yeah. the natural glucose and fructose that's in that apple gets immediately converted into energy. So you walk in the front door and all of a sudden you're, you're energetic. What yeah. happens is we try to, we as, as people fall victim to marketing and instead of eating an apple, we eat a Snickers bar on the way home. Not recognizing that high fructose corn syrup is not the same thing as real fructose. It's, it's yeah. not the same chemical composition. It doesn't come with the fiber benefits that come with the natural fruits or even some kind of food. So then the spike, it's a spike in energy that has a, a, a detrimental fall at the end, whereas natural yeah. fruit has a very gradual decline. 
So you can so fill your willpower yeah, reserves, fill your willpower reserves, and all of a sudden you have the discipline that you didn't have before. You have the will that you didn't have before. Is this is there any correlation here to you know the America or the world's kind of addiction to caffeine as well? Like you know that that I feel like that's kind of like it gives us the willpower to get up in the morning and and you know go do things even if we're tired and exhausted because we didn't sleep the night before because we you know drank too much wine or whatever it might be it sounds sounds like that's almost like similar too yeah what's interesting is the the caffeine that we're also accustomed to now actually had its roots in the middle east that's why like yeah. all caffeine came or all coffee the original coffee was arabic coffee which is mm-hmm. not at all what we eat now it's like it was a raw coffee bean that was kind of roasted over a fire and then uh, broken and crushed up. And then they poured some hot water in it and that's it. It's a really, it's a, it's a unique flavor if you've ever had Arabic coffee, but it's not the same thing that we drink now. What we drink now is ground compressed coffee beans. And then we press hot water through them with pressure which maximizes the caffeine flow, but minimizes all of the other stuff, all of the yeah. the fiber, the nutrients, any the of nutrients mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. So it's just water with caffeine in it now. And China has actually found a way to create synthetic caffeine. So a lot of the stuff that you see from your Starbucks of the world and some of your mass produced coffee is actually coffee plus synthetic caffeine, uh, which wow. is, yeah, the, the difference to compare it to your Apple versus your Snickers bar. So caffeine, because it doesn't have anything else except for water and caffeine, it's it hits your system. It isn't true energy. Instead, it's it uh, triggers a, a a process in your brain that makes you hyper alert. It doesn't actually yeah. help your body. It just wakes up your brain. So then, what I, what ends up happening is when that chemical is exhausted in your system, then you you feel what's known as a caffeine crash. Right? What the caffeine crash really is is it's just your brain falling back into sync with your body. And yeah. you've been skipping meals all day because you didn't feel hungry. So you've been so you've now utilized all of your actual energy stores, and you just go into this depletion. Correct. So if anybody, uh, for the people out there who who don't feel caffeine crashes, because there are some that every now and then you meet them and you're like, oh, I, I love caffeine, or caffeine doesn't really bother me. Those are people yeah. who, in general, they have themselves. They're eating on a routine. So when the caffeine crash mm-hmm. comes, their body is still energized. So when it takes the gap between where their brain was and where their body is, is smaller. So the crash yeah. feels smaller. Whereas the rest of us are skipping lunch, skipping dinner, having a second cup of coffee with more sugar in it from Starbucks, and then all of a sudden it's ten o'clock at night, and the gap between your body and your mind is huge. Yeah, I got to ask you now. Do you drink coffee? I do not. I drink coffee periodically. I actually drink yeah. half calf for exactly this reason. Yeah. And then, uh, but what more than anything, my time in Asia got me, uh, got me to understand the value of tea because tea yeah. is the antithesis of coffee. Tea works more like your fruit. So, um, the, yeah. the caffeine, the caffeine is lower and the caffeine processing time that, that as your body processes through it is longer. So you actually have yeah. less of a spike and a longer, slower decline. And that's why people drink tea all day long. And what, what kind of tea? Green tea is probably the yeah. best tea out there. But then you've got... I, I'm just asking all these questions. I'm a tea guy. I knew we were going to become best friends. So we're just <laughs> confirming it here. So yeah, um, jasmine, uh, oolong, yeah. all of those teas have excellent medicinal and personal value uh, in addition yeah. to just the raw caffeine. And the fiber that's in tea is one of the best parts of it whenever you're on an Asian diet. I love that. So everybody that's listening to this and has been upset about me telling everybody to stop drinking coffee, I am no longer the only person telling you. Uh, if you ever want to become a CIA op- operative, Andrew's saying it too. Yeah. 
It's so um, much easier yeah, to I make tea it. in the field than coffee also. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, um, you know, the only time I, I love the taste of coffee, by the way. Um, the only time I ever drink it though is when I'm on vacation and normally it's, it's decaf for those exact reasons. It's not <laughs> when I need the energy. It's just because I enjoy the taste. Right. Um, so I gotta, and again, this, I don't know if this is something that, uh, you can answer, but I gotta ask what's the most difficult thing that you've ever had to do, uh, or overcome. Maybe it was in the field or maybe it was in life in general, you know, something I always want to share with our, our audiences you know, an understanding that for anybody to accomplish anything good, you almost always, I've never, I'll say always, because I've never met someone who hasn't had to overcome something to get to where they are. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a long list of things there, but the first one that jumped to my mind when you asked the question was when, when you really learn how, when, in, when you're in espionage, you deal with terrible people. I mean, the, the yeah. kind of person who rats out their country is not a good person. They're not mentally healthy. They're not yeah. balanced. They're not, they don't make good decisions. Like these are the scum of the universe. And when you're talking to a terrorist or a gangster or a general for a foreign military, if they're actually giving you secrets, they're like, they're the worst of the terrorists. Yeah. They're the worst of the gangsters, right? So one of the hardest things for me to overcome was sitting across from these people who are truly just the scum of the earth and recognizing that they still have value. These people have mm. information that can keep Americans safe. And as much as I might want to vomit on their shoes or slap them across the face or just ignore everything about them, I have to keep myself in check, use some of that perspective and say to myself, no, you know what? This is, this is a person whose life has yeah. led them to this point. And how shitty must that life have been? To get them to, here. To, to get them to this point of being this person. Exactly. Yeah. And now, even though I want nothing to do with them in terms of my own personal values, the value that they have to keep other people safe is what I need to focus on. That's the productive way of thinking. The productive thing to say to this pedophile is, I understand that your life is hard and I understand that you want this, that, and the other thing, whatever disgusting habit you have. Tell me what I need to know so that I can give you your internet connection, or I can give you your money, or I can give you your cell phone, or I can give you whatever thing it is that you're going to use to go take care of your filthy obsessions. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep Americans safe by getting something out of you that we need. That was a hard, that's, that was a hard thing for me and for a lot of my I'm peers. I'm not going to lie, Andrew, you're a better man than I am, because I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> it's always made us jealous of our FBI counterparts, because when you're an FBI, at least you're like, this scumbag's going to jail. Like everything he says to me is yeah. evidence. I'm going to take him down. Yeah. He's going to spend his whole life in jail. For us, it's more like this guy is giving us good information. Let's keep him going for as long as we can. Wow. Wow, that's tough. Man, this has been super insightful, Andrew. This has been super helpful. I would love for more people to be able to get to know you, get to know uh, Everyday Spy. Where can people learn more about that? How do you help people with Everyday Spy? Yeah, Everyday Spy is really here to teach, all, just like you were saying. I teach all of the spy skills that I can to everyday people to give them an unfair advantage in life. Conversations, negotiations, how to structure a business, mindset, personal health, mental health. It's everything I can do to pour back into the people who made my accidental success possible. And it's uh, it's been a real blessing to be able to do that. Uh, you can find me at everydayspy.com. That's the homepage for everything I create. Uh, and you'll be able to, if you are really interested in learning more about willpower, I actually have uh, an awesome special report all about willpower. If you go to everydayspy.com forward slash self, S-E-L-F, it's just waiting there. It's totally free. 
but everydayspy.com forward slash self, and people can immediately start mastering willpower and self-discipline and see how that works. And then I have a very successful podcast. I have a top 1% podcast, a, a iTunes top 100 podcast called the Everyday Espionage Podcast. And that's my forum to just 15 minutes at a time, just give people one, one imp high impact lesson at a time every two weeks uh, so they can just consume it on their way to work or on their way home. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Andrew. Everybody go to everydayspy.com. Check out Everyday Espionage on iTunes. You guys will not be disappointed. Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show, man. My pleasure, Xander. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.